Let me ask you to turn to John 18. We have uh, been, during our times of communion, looking at the Ten Commandments. We're looking at them uh, not as these are things you need to do to get yourself together and then you can get to heaven. Doesn't work that way. But there is grace. There is abundant grace for we who know we are breakers of His commandments. And that, when we, when we look at each of the commands, we, we are driven to His grace, which invites us to the table. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross. I cling. We just sang those words. And that's the core of the gospel right there. That we find ourselves uh, wanting to bring something to Him and yet if we try to bring it, it will be imperfect and it will point out all the more our imperfections. And so we must come with, with empty hands, naked as our song said, and understanding that but by His grace, no one can come to this table. And so we, we come to the, the ninth commandment, we typically say, you shall not lie. The, the words there, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And we need to understand that while some would want to narrow it down to just false witness and, and put lying in a different category, it, it's, that's not it. It's talking about the sanctity of truth itself. Now some of you, because you value truth-telling so much. Some of you might be tempted to take a deep breath and say, oh, finally a commandment I don't struggle with. Well, let's see. Let's see if that's the case, because as we grow in Christ, as we get closer and closer to that one who is perfection, it shows us all the more who we are. So, I have quoted to you from Exodus that commandment. I want us to begin by reading about an encounter with Jesus before Pontius Pilate. This is beginning with the 33rd verse. In John 18, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this out of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we have sought to open up our hands before you and drop those things that we thought we were bringing, those those righteous acts. And now we want to open our hearts to you. For you to penetrate as deep as need be, and you know what that is. To show us our great need for Christ. And we ask for this. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let's begin with uh, the, the basis of that command. It's talking about the sanctity of truth. Why do we proclaim truth to be objective? Now here's what I mean by that. In our day, and this is not something new, but it would not be uncommon for someone to, in a very patronizing way, say something like this. Well, that, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me, right? Have you heard that? Anybody ever heard that? You he- hear it, you see it, it's everywhere. And that's the presumption. And the problem is when you declare that there is something called objective truth, that, that whether any of us acknowledge it or not, it, it is truth. And then if you say, you know what, and that truth, we all have to respond to it by saying it's truth or it's not truth. That's when people get uncomfortable. They don't like you saying you need to respond to something and so why do, we, why do we hold on to that and say there is such a thing as objective truth? Well, from a faith perspective, from a biblical perspective, I want to give you the, the positive and the negative why that's the case. Just as the basis, and then we're going to get mostly to application today. The, the, the positive is because God's very nature is truth. I want to direct you to three passages. I'm simply going to read them. You can look them up. They're listed there in the outline. Isaiah, I'm not even going to read Isaiah 65, 16, but twice in that passage, uh, God is called the God of truth. That says that's what he is determined as. In uh, Titus 1, verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies 
promised before the ages began. So we have a description of who he is and what he does. He never lies. And then we see the words of Jesus. We've already heard them this morning. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. In other words, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, who is with the Lord now, but he, he, in talking about the nature of God and of truth, he said, truth is not ultimately related to orthodoxy. You've got you to hear the whole sentence uh, because it sounds, well, of course, truth is related to orthodoxy. He says, it's not ultimately related to orthodoxy. Truth is not ultimately related to the Christian creeds, though he would say, and I would say they're true. Truth is not even ultimately related to the Scriptures, though, again, he would say absolutely the Scriptures are true. But here's what he's saying. These three are overwhelmingly important because God is there and he is behind them. And he would say, and he is the truth. So that's, that's the key. That's what, uh, th- what makes the word of God of value is because of the author who himself is truth. So that's why we say there is such a thing as truth. To deny that there is objective truth is so related to God that it's a denial of God. Do you see? Now, that's, that's the positive foundation. The negative foundation to the sanctity of truth is that of Satan. Satan's nature is the lie. In John chapter 8, verse 44, This is Jesus speaking. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Get the contrast. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, I don't know that there can be any greater contrast. God is the God of truth who never lies. Jesus says, I am the truth. Satan is a murderer, is a liar who always lies, and untruth comes from him. Now, that being the case, we accept what the Bible says here then any temptation toward situation ethics is going to be a problem. Situation ethics, for instance, uh, Joseph Fletcher, uh, who came up with situation ethics, he said, you know what? There can actually be a time when the most Christian thing you can do is to lie. And he would give examples. He would give examples, uh, in other words, so as not to hurt somebody's feelings or to protect someone and, uh, you know, uh, various things which, you know, all of a sudden you find yourself saying, well, yeah, I, 
I, I can understand out of love you might want to do that. But you've got to go back to this and say, wait a minute, where do lies come from? Where does the truth come from? And so if, if lies are from Satan, it's his very nature, then we can't say sometimes it's just okay to do that. Now, let's look at ways we uh, are confronted with and, and need to avoid being a false witness. Um, let me start with little white lies. We've heard that term, I'm sure. Oh, that was just a little white lie. Listen to what the Word of God says in 1 John 2. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. No lie is of the truth, which is of God. Basic philosophy to little white lies, well, and, and it would fit with situation ethics. It's okay if, if, it, you know, if the lie doesn't hurt someone or if even maybe it makes them, makes them feel better about themselves. You know, false flattery, uh, telling others what they want to hear rather than what is true. Uh, thinking, therefore, it's, it's harmless, right? It's just a little white lie. Do you know what little white lies can lead to? Um, little white adultery, little white murder. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Have you ever even heard those terms? Oh, that was just a little white, you know, adultery. Of course not. That's how ridiculous it is, but lying is in the same group of commands with those see the, the danger here? No lie is of the truth. There's a way to say something without lying. And sometimes you've got to think hard. Sometimes you've got to be creative. When I was in, in seminary, uh, Dr. Robert Rayburn was teaching a class. I, I still remember this one because it was such good advice for young pastors. He said, you know, sometime you're going to visit somebody who, uh, who has a baby and you know what they want to hear. He said, this is what I do if I can't honestly say, now that's a beautiful baby. I say, now that's a baby. Now, I can just look around. I see some of you asking your spouse, did he say that when he came saw our baby? <laughs> Rest assured, I've never said that. I, I won't use that. I do think all babies are beautiful because they're a creation from God, so I don't have to lie, you know, if, uh, when I say that. But his, his point was this. He, he was saying something so as not to hurt uh, feelings, it was absolutely, it fit with his conscience and so on. 
little white lies are not acceptable. They are a step into darkness. How about lies of convenience? Uh, You get a phone call. Tell them I'm not here. I'm, no, I'm not here, you know. Yes, here he is, you know. Is that a problem? Well, you might even be thinking, well, you know, it's better for my sanctification not to even talk to that. You know, you can, you can justify that lie of convenience. But here's what the Bible says in Romans 3.8. Why not do evil that good may come? as some people slanderously charge us with saying. You see, what it's saying is that we're not allowed to commit an act that is against God's law in order to avoid some possible future evil. You can't do that. Followers of Christ must be different. And then there's the, the category of lies of necessity. In other words, I, you know, there was no choice either to protect yourself or to protect others. And people will rapidly go to cases in the Bible uh, like Rahab, who lied to protect, and Abraham, who lied, saying to protect him and his wife, They're often brought up to to justify lies when it protects others. And and that's a a whole big discussion in terms of the ethics of those. But here's just very simply what I I think we need to understand with this. Some would say, after all, they lied, and, and yet they're prominent in the faith. They lied and... They're they're in the genealogy of Christ. They lied and they're listed in Hebrews 11 as people of faith. Here's what you need to notice. In none of those places does it justify or bless their lies. Now, were they God's people? Yes. Yes. Do God's people sin? Sometimes. And that's what happened with them. We can see places in Scripture where God permits us in in dire circumstances to uh, conceal or withhold part of the truth uh, from those who are enemies. In other words, if somebody asks you one question, you don't have to tell them everything you know immediately, but you got to be careful with that. Scripturally, we don't see the lies of Abraham or Rahab commended. In fact, what we do see is God does his work. God accomplishes his purpose in spite of our sin. And he never needs us to sin in order for his will to come about. So we mustn't fall into that trap. But let me take you to to one other area. And that may be the area of our greatest 
downfall. We're prone to fall into any number of false witnesses. But I, I want to I narrow it down to what I think is maybe the most violated place of being a false witness. If you remember the Scripture reading, Pilate had Jesus standing right in front of him, and he says one of the most ironic things in uh, the Scripture. He says, what is truth? Here he has truth standing right in front of him, and Pilate says, what is truth? He, he, he doesn't recognize it right in front of him. We know that in those hours, it was false witnesses that testified against Jesus, violating the very law they said they loved. So, what is the way that Christians violate the ninth commandment the most? I would suggest it is bearing false witness about Christ. Here's the picture. Since Christ is not standing in front of an unbelieving world like he was before Pilate, the only Christ that the world sees is us. And we are in danger again and again of either deliberately or not deliberately bearing false witness. Let me give you some examples. Uh, when we are not truth-tellers, you bear false witness. If you claim to be a Christ follower and people can't count on your yes being yes and your no being no, we are false witnesses when we live lives of fear. Let me explain. Fear of life. Fear of death. Fear of disease. Fear of you name it. If God is sovereign, if He's in control of, of all things, he always does what's best for his children. Then we don't have to fear. And to live in fear is to deny that he's going to do what's best for me. And that gives false testimony about who God is. If the world is, is judging who God is, who Christ is, by, by us, by our actions, do you see what kind of a warped picture that gives of him? Another area is when we live like we're working our way to heaven. We are being false witnesses. When we focus on our own work and not the work of Christ on the cross. When we act like it's our own works that are going to get us there. Oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but... I'm, I'm, i got to work my way in, you know, to stay in his favor, then we're misrepresenting the gospel. We're false witnesses. 
when we do not love. 1 John 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so if we don't love, then we're false witnesses. When we speak more freely and enthusiastically about the things of this world than we do the things of the Lord, then we're a false witness. In other words, if, if people hear us talk, what, what, what do we get excited about? That in their mind will determine what's true in our lives. And when we are more free and enthusiastic about the things in this world than we are about the things of the Lord, then we're being a false witness about Christ. When we act like the things and activities of this world mean more or even equal to the things of the Lord, very related. Again, would, what would people think is most important to you by where you spend your time and your money and where you put your effort? What really gets you excited? And if it's not the Lord, then we're in danger of being a false witness. Further, when we are disgusted by the behavior of those who don't yet know Christ, then we're a false witness. Because that's not how Christ was, was he? That's not how he approached the one in need of salvation. He showed love and concern and compassion because their problem was they they needed him. And when we, we show disgust towards them, then the implication is they got to get their life together and then they could come be one of us. And that's a false picture that we are painting to this world. And we're a false witness for Christ when that's the case. Gandhi said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. Oh, may that never be said of our friends, of our associates. You know, you know I, I think I would like Jesus if I ever met him, but, but his followers... Just can't handle them. I'm concerned that Gandhi, like many others, had been misled by the false witness of too many believers. So, what if we have been a false witness? Well, the answer is the same as it was for why Abraham and Rahab are still considered God's people. Why? Abraham and Rahab 
who had lied are still listed in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. It's only by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's our only hope. The finished work of Jesus. He went to the cross for we who bear false witness. And so the answer? Well, the answer we're reminded here at the table of truth. The table of the truthful one. The table that reminds us that we're all false witnesses in one way or another. But Jesus wasn't. In John 1, it says, Jesus came with grace and truth. Here is what Paul said pertaining to this table. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So here's, here's what it's saying. If, if you find yourself being described by the things we have talked about today, being tempted in those areas, being convicted by His Holy Spirit, I have, I have been a false witness. If you realize that, if you repent of that because of what Jesus did on the cross, this table's for you. It's not for those who say, I would never bear false witness. Because the truth is, we are all guilty at some point. And so, our call here is not for you who are perfect, come and eat at the table, but you who know of your need for Christ, who know that, that if it wasn't for Christ, that you would have no right to sit at this table. But because of what this table means, this table of truth, if you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, this table is for you. And you are invited 
to drink deeply and eat in a hearty way. Not because you deserve it, but because he deserves it. And he has invited you in his name to come. Let's bow together. Lord, help us, we pray. We, false witnesses, are in need of nourishment. We are in need of nourishment that can only come from you. And so, Lord, will you take the elements of this table? We bought them at a grocery store. Will you take them and transform them to nourish our souls by faith? Will you give us hearts of repentance? Hearts knowing our utter need for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.